From chapter 3, we discover aspects of God's grace that empowers us, God's wisdom in the mystery that He has now revealed, and God's great and immeasurable love that we are called to experience and have as foundation for our lives. So, you brought your Bible? Please hold it high up in the air. Let's say this out loud, bold and strong. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word and I live by his word. Christ is my master and to him I am in absolute surrender in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Shake hands please with the person next to you. Let them know you're happy to see them. Share your name if you don't know who they are and you may be seated. God bless. All right. We've been spending the last few Sundays um, just going through the book of Ephesians, we've covered Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Last Sunday was a marathon service, <laughs> trying to cover two chapters in one service. So what I want to do now is just give a very quick uh, background just to uh, review or remind us of um, what we saw in chapters 1 and 2. And today uh, we're going to spend some time in chapter 3, which is not a very long chapter, so it'll, uh, it'll be... Um, Hopefully quicker than last Sunday. All right. So Paul wrote his epistle to the church, the believers, in a place called Ephesus. He actually spent about three years working there in Ephesus. This was between AD 58 to 60. Three years serving in that town of Ephesus, helped establish a church, did a lot of things. And then he's, he's gone on now and uh, he's at this moment, when he's writing this episode, he's imprisoned in Rome. He's actually under house arrest. Uh, and this is about AD 63, imprisoned uh, there for about two years. And uh, he's writing these epistles, writing these letters. And he actually writes four letters. They're all called prison epistles because he's writing out of that place. And uh, Ephesians is one of them. He's writing one, one of the four letters he writes is the le- epistle to the Ephesians, writing to the believers at Ephesus. Chapters 1 and 2. Paul, in these two chapters, is talking about who we are in Jesus Christ. You know, like we mentioned, uh, I think in the very first service, you know, what would our epistle be if we had to write something? What would our letter be if we had to write out of prison? And we're like, man, this is really tough. I don't know why God put me here. <laughs> I hope you guys are okay. You know, please pray for me. Help me to get out of here real soon. <laughs> Those are probably the kinds of things you and I may write if we sit in a prison and have to write some letters. But Paul, writing his letter, is talking, he's not talking about his problems and his challenges. He is reminding those believers of what a rich life we have in Jesus Christ. So I think it's a very simple and yet a very powerful lesson for us that no matter what our situation, instead of focusing on our own problems, let's think about this wonderful life we have in Jesus, the life we have in Christ. So in chapter 1, he says things like, you know, we are blessed with every blessing. 
in Christ. We have been chosen in him. We are holy and without blame before God, covered by his love. Uh, we have been adopted as sons and daughters into God's wonderful family. We have been sealed. God's mark of ownership is on us by his Holy Spirit. And God is unfolding his wonderful purpose on the earth. And so he talks about those kinds of things in Ephesians chapter 1. And he talks about the fact that, you know, he's praying for these believers. He's praying for the people at Ephesians, although he's in prison. He's praying for them. And he's praying that God will help them know him more and more and, and know the greatness of the power that's available. And all these wonderful things he's praying for them. And he continues on in chapter 2 and he says, you know, we were dead in sins, but look what God has done for us. He's raised us up and he's made us sit in heavenly places in Jesus Christ and he's brought us uh, into his own family he's made us part uh, of his family he's given us uh, uh, he's made us part of his covenant people and finally closes off chapter 2 by saying that we are God's dwelling place we are the temple of God right so he's just reminding people you know this is how wonderful our life is in Christ so focus on that so now we go to chapter 3. What we want to do is we're just going to read the whole chapter. And then I will come back, we'll come back and just comment on verses uh, in groups. So let's be, just read the whole chapter first. Chapter 3, Ephesians. Reading from verse 1. Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of the grace of God which was given to me for you, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship or the partnership of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations 
forever and ever. Amen. Beautiful chapter. We're going to look at it verse by verse. In uh, As he begins chapter 3, now remember when Paul writes this epistle, he doesn't write it in chapter and verse. Right? He's writing a long letter. Like this is the way you and, I, you and I would write. We would probably break it down into paragraphs at most and just write, you know, a flow of thought. But for our benefit, you know, uh, when they formally canonized scripture and they started printing it, they put it in chapter and verse so we can refer to it and talk about it. But he, he was writing one continuous flow of thought. So he, he's finished reminding believers of our life in Christ. And now he slowly changes subject and he starts telling them a little bit about his life, his calling, his ministry. He spends a little bit of time on that. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul says, verses 1 and 2, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, says, look, I'm a prisoner, but it's for you. Verse 2, if indeed you heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. I want to talk a little bit about that in verse 2. It says, now you probably heard about this, about the dispensation. The word simply means stewardship. You heard about the stewardship of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. So here's the point. Each one of us, we are stewards of the grace of God that has been given to us. Stewardship, steward means that you are, are supposed to manage things properly. You know, a steward of a household, he's supposed to make sure the household is managed and runs properly or a business or whatever. So we are stewards of the grace of God that has been given to us. Are you with me? All of us are recipients of the grace of God. But you are responsible to manage that, to take care of that grace that has been given to you. Now, in the New Testament, like we mentioned last Sunday, the word grace is used in four different contexts. When we talk about grace, usually uh, we talk about one aspect of it, which is divine favor. That means God gives to us something we don't deserve. That's divine favor. He blesses us with all these things that we don't merit, divine favor. But that's only one aspect of the grace of God in the New Testament. The word grace is also used to talk about divine character. Right, so when, for instance, in John 1.14, pointing at Jesus, the Bible says, we saw, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see him, but we see the grace. We see the character of God in this person. In 2 Peter 3.18, the Bible tells us we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in divine character. So grace is also talking about character divine character grace is also used to talk about divine empowering that comes into our lives for instance when paul is having is this is this contention with these demonic powers buffeting him coming against him over and over again in second corinthians 12 he says you know i prayed the lord three times oh god just get rid of this out of my life and god's response is paul second corinthians 12 verse 9 my grace is sufficient for you Meaning, my empowering, this grace that I give you, the empowering that I put into your life, that's more than enough to take care of this adversary you're facing over and over again. My grace, my empowering coming into your life is more than enough. So grace is also used in the context of empowering, divine empowerment. There's a fourth aspect of grace in the Bible, in the New Testament. Grace is also used in the context of spiritual gifting. Uh, of gifts and that comes, uh, of God's empowering, gifting that comes in our lives in relation to a purpose and a calling. So, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible talks about gifts of grace. The gifts of the Spirit are actually gifts of grace. Charisma. It says concerning charisma. 
That means these gifts of grace, I do not want you to be ignorant. So the gifts of the Spirit are actually gifts of grace. So grace is used in connection with spiritual gifting. And then in Romans 12 verses 4 through 6, the Bible talks about, uh, tells us that to each one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So grace in relation to your gifting. And then he talks about each one of us having a function in the body. He says, as the body has many members and not every member has the same function. We also Right? It's Romans 12, 4 to 6. So talking about the fact that God's given us grace in relation to our gift and our functioning. So grace as a gifting are given to us. Are you with me so far? Am I losing you? No. So when we use the word grace, we're talking this, this full package. Are you with me? That really, it's not only favor, because it is by favor, God's divine favor, that he's put all of that in your life and mine. Yes, but there is also this empowering that comes in, and there is a call to grow in Christ-like character, and there is also this gifting that is, each one of us has blessed with. Now in, Rome, in, in Ephesians 3 verse 2, Paul says, I am a steward of the grace of God. Now he's talking about grace as a gifting. Right to a certain function, to fulfill this function. I'm a steward of this grace, which was given to me for you. Grace is given to you for somebody else. The grace for the grace of gifting, the grace of ministry, the grace of ministry function is given to you, but it's given for the benefit of somebody. And he's saying, I'm a being a good steward of this grace. You know, you and I have observed this. You'll find some people are just so good in working with the poor. Now, when you and I want to help the poor, you, we may just give, okay, yeah, give a little money. But there are some people, that's not the ways they serve the poor. They go live with the poor. They take care of them. They, you know, they get into their problems. They work with them. They pour out their life. It's something you and I can't do. I mean, I'm just generalizing. But they have, why? Because they've been given grace for those kinds of people. Are you with me? Then there are other people who might work, you know, uh, they might work with people with learning disability. They are able to work with them. And wow, so like how come they have so much patience? You know, they have been given grace for them, those kinds of people. Are you with me? All of us have been given grace, certain grace for somebody else, certain people that you want to. There are some people, uh, they can just mingle around with the rich and the affluent, rub shoulders very easily, and they're just able to flow with them. I know of one person, he's actually an evangelist, but he can just move with all the rich and the high and the mighty. And I'm wondering, like, this doesn't match. You know? He's an evangelist, but he's able to move with all these people so easily, so freely. And he has all the contacts. I'm like, where does he get all these contacts? There's just a grace on his life for that. So he's able, he's moving with that. And God just opens doors there. Are you with me? But Paul says, I am a steward. See, you've got to take care of that grace. You've got to manage that. Don't misuse it and don't neglect it. God has given grace for each one of us towards a certain area of people, a certain community, a certain kind of people that he wants to impact. And we are stewards of that grace. Let's pick up verse 3. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. I want to highlight what he says in verse 3. He says, by revelation, he has made known to me the mystery. You know, whatever the apostle Paul received, he did not receive it through some other human channel. He received it directly from the Lord. 
And he talks about this in other places as well. And for instance, he talks about this in 1 Corinthians 11. He also talks about it in Galatians chapter 1, where he says, you know, I've received this from the Lord. And interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he writes about what exactly took place at the Last Supper, when the Lord sat with his 12 disciples and he broke bread. Now, Paul was not there, but he writes, he describes very in detail. The Lord took the bread, he broke it, he said, take it, this is my body. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood. And then he talks about the meaning of that in 1 Corinthians 11. But Paul prefixes that and he says, I have received of the Lord. So how do you know this, Paul? You were not there. Did Peter, James and John tell you? No, I received this from the Lord. This is what happened at the at that table there. Exactly. So the writings of the Apostle Paul are really revelations, things that he received directly from the Lord. That's why they're part of the Holy Scriptures. Are you with me? So he says, I want you to know something. I received from the Lord. God revealed this. That's why all these episodes are so important for us. They are revelation of things that God spoke to him directly and he writes them for us. And he says, I've received this from the Lord. And I want you to know and understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. So what is this mystery? And he says, you know, in, in this, the mystery is this in verse 6. The Gentiles should also come in and be a part of this whole thing. That's the mystery. And he says, in the other ages, they didn't know this. So in the Old Testament, as God was working with the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, and he was telling them, do this and do this and do this and do all of that, this was hidden. They didn't know that a time was coming when God would open the whole uh, plan of salvation to the Gentiles. He says it was hidden in times past. Now we know that even in the Old Testament, some people had this this. This word given to them. For instance, Abraham, God says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. Not just Israel, but all the families of the earth. So some of them had it. Isaiah, when he prophesied in Isaiah 42, Isaiah said that the servant of the Lord, he'll be a light to the Gentile. So they had the word given to them. Uh, in the Psalms, many of the Psalms, he said, all the nations will worship you. So they had the word given to them, but the, how God was going to do it and the reality of it was wailed. They didn't know it. So even though they wrote it, they didn't really understand that actually a time is going to come when the door of the gospel will be open, that Gentiles, people from Karnataka, Tamil Nadu, Kerala, everyone, every, all over the world, China, Australia, Japan, every, people, the Gentiles will be brought in. To become part of this body. He says that's the mystery. It's been opened now. And he says I'm, um, uh, and I want you to know that uh, this is the mystery. That verse 6. The Gentiles will be fellow heirs of the same body. And partakers of his promise in Christ. Are you with me so far? Yes. I want to just mention something here about in verse 5. He talks about the fact that this thing has been now revealed by the spirit. to his holy apostles and prophets. I briefly briefly made mention of this last service. Uh, There are three categories of apostles. The first are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That's a close number. None of us can apply. (laughs) It's close. 12 apostles, their names are fixed. Membership closed. There are only 12 apostles of the 
lamb. Then there are what we call as founding apostles. Paul was not one of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, but he was a founding apostle. By founding apostles, we mean these apostles who came subsequent to the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It's also including them, including the 12, but as others as well, like Paul, Silas, Barnabas, James, others, to whom God revealed, gave revelation, like he says here. He gave them the revelation, many of them wrote. right? So the founding apostles are apostles who gave us the revelation of Scripture. Paul is one of them. And even that, Membership is closed. Nobody can be today a founding apostle. But we have today in the church, like what we find in Ephesians 4, we look at it next Sunday, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and also in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, that there are apostles and prophets in the church today. But the apostles and prophets in the church today are not the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They're not part of the founding apostles. They are people who function. It's a ministry function, a ministry gifting that fulfills a certain calling, apostle or a prophet. So we just call them as ministry officers or ministry function. Are you with me? And they're not in the same class or the same category as the first two. That's closed. And they are very distinct. Uh, Nobody today, today's apostles and prophets cannot rewrite scripture. Cannot do it. It's closed. It was done by the founding apostles and prophets. Now, let's go to verse 7 and 8. Paul, let's continue to talk a little bit about his ministry. We can draw some insights from that. Verse 7 and 8. He says, Of which, of this mystery, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want you to look at verse 7. And just consider this. Paul says, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God which was given to me. And by the effective working of his power. What you become must be aligned to the gift of the grace of God given to you. Because that is where you will have the effective working of his power. Did you get that? Yes. (laughs) It's like there's a pin drop silence, so I don't know. Did he get it or no? What you become must be aligned to the gift of the grace of God given to your life. Because that is where you will have the effective working of his power. So many people say, now what should I become in life? Should I become a doctor, engineer? What should I become? (laughs) Well, what you become, Paul says, I became a minister according to, in alignment to, to what? To the gift of the grace of God given to me. So what is the gift of grace given to your life? What is it? Some of us, and some of these things you can recognize very easily. You know, when I look at my own kids, when, even when we look at our kids, we can recognize, you know, Josh has these traits, so we encourage him in that. Ruth has these traits, so we encourage her in that. We can recognize the gift of the grace of God in their lives. So don't try to push them into something they don't have that grace, you know. It'll be miserable for them and they'll blame you for it. You know, it's just joking. But what is it? On your own life, what is the gift of the grace of God on your life? You can recognize it by 
the gifts that you have or you know some people don't like to use the word gifts so we use the word skills but the skills or the talents some people don't like the word talents okay <laughs> the skills or the abilities the capability you can recognize it by that you can recognize it by the inclinations that you have some people are more inclined towards certain things than other things the inclinations the passions you can recognize it by that and you can recognize it just by stepping in and trying things out and you'll say you know this is where i'm just really able to do things the gift of god's grace on your life so what you become must be aligned to the gift of the grace of god on your because that is where you'll find the effective working of his power so people think you're working so hard just like his power is doing the job <laughs> i'm just aligned to becoming what his he has graced my life with of course you have to work hard i'm not saying you shouldn't work hard you should work hard but when you are aligned to the his gift and grace flowing in your life and his, because of that his power is flowing uh, uh, the hard work is fun you enjoy it are you with me some people don't like hard work <laughs> so what you become must be aligned to the gift of the grace of god on your then you'll find his power working so effectively in you you know i'm amazed that when i look at some testimonies uh people in the past people in the present you look at their lives and you like just things are just happening and then you realize you know they're in the place where god really wants them to be and uh, they're aligned to god's grace on their life and god's power is just flowing and you know whatever they're doing it's just growing it's just being blessed thanks man he said wow here's an example of a person who's becoming according to the gift of grace on his life and i don't think i could step in and do that because I don't have the grace for it but here somebody is doing that and the work is just growing it's just beautiful but this is the simple secret they are becoming according to the gift of the grace of God by the effective working of his power and notice what Paul says in in, in the next verse there he says in verse 8 to me who am less than the least of all the saints this grace was given now this really touches my heart because You know Paul at this time he's already finished three missionary journeys he's traveled to you know like 51 big cities he's established churches in so many places he's raised up so many leaders he's written several epistles already and then he says I am the least of all the I mean there is no pride in this man I've done all of this but you know really I'm the least of all the there's no pride it is not walking around the high and mighty apostle everybody bow you know he's not walking around like that he says i am the least of all the saints and to me this grace was given so even he's recognizing you know whatever i've done whatever i've accomplished whatever i've become it's because of this grace it's because of god's grace to me who am the least of all the saints this grace was given that i should preach among the gentiles meaning the non-jewish people the unsearchable riches of christ Now think about this. Paul was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. That means he had a PhD, maybe a double PhD. That means he was highly respected among the Jewish community. But whom does God send him to? Go to the go to the Gentiles. So sometimes, you know, God he sends us to places and people that we don't really think, you know, uh, that's where I should go. Just go there. I mean, it would have been easy if Paul God said, "Paul, go to the Jews." they'll all respect you you know you've got a phd you've been trained under gamaliel and uh, you know you're the man go to the jews god says no paul go to the gentiles 
And Peter, who is a fisherman, he sends him to the Jews. It's like totally opposite. I mean, you send a fisherman to the Jews, they won't respect him. They're looking for the, you know, somebody who's, whom they can respect. God just shifts the whole thing. But Paul says, the grace of God. See, the grace of God will empower you to minister to people in places you don't think you're suited for. But if the grace of God is flowing through you, hey, that's where you're going to be most successful. Even though it doesn't fit into your logical thinking. The grace of God's flowing through me. He sent me to this people. He sent me to this place. It's going to work. It's going to happen. So to me, who I'm less than the least of, of the saints, is this grace given for you Gentiles. That, that to the Gentiles, I should preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Meaning this, the, 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 the riches that are there, they're unsearchable, immeasurable wealth that's in Jesus. So, you know, again, Paul is using these words, you know, you find him using these words of riches and immeasurable very often just to describe in words the fact that there is so much in Christ. So much in Christ. He's saying, I want to tell them the immeasurable wealth that is in Jesus. Now, let's move on. Verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verses 9 through 11. So he says, you know, uh, I'm, uh, why am I preaching to the Gentiles? Because I want all people, I want, to, want them to see this the fellowship. They want to, I want them to come into this fellowship of this wonderful mystery that we are all, you know, to be partakers of this. And this was hidden in God even before uh, time began. It was in Jesus. And verse 10 brings out something here. He says that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So when the Bible talks of principalities and powers in, a, in heavenly places, it's referring to angelic beings, referring to the spirit worlds. So what Paul is saying is this. Through the church, God's wisdom is put on display so that these angelic beings, good and bad, are looking at the church and saying, whoa, we didn't figure that out before. Look at God's wisdom. Look at what he's doing. Are you with me? Through the church. When we say church, we're not talking about the cathedral, the buildings. We're talking about you and that through us, God is putting his wisdom on display. So the, the unseen world, the spirit world looks at you and looks at me and says, wow, that's God's wisdom on display. That's God's greatness on display. Amen. So you and I are God's prized possession through you and me and what God is doing in our lives. The angels are standing amazed and they're going, wow. Hey, Gabe, did you know that was coming? I said, no. Hey, Mike, did you know that was coming? No. Look at that. <laughs> so you can just imagine the conversation those angels are having about what God is doing through you and me, putting his strength, his wisdom on display. Amen? So that's verse 10. And uh, let's go on to verse now. We read verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. In whom... In Jesus, we talked about this earlier because Paul mentions this in, in chapter 2 as well. We have boldness and access with confidence. So when we come before the presence of God, we come boldly and we come with confidence. Right? So we, we mentioned this last Sunday. You know, so for some of us who are parents, if you get your son a nice suit, right? you spend all that money, get him a nice suit, and 
Then he comes to you and says, Dad, I don't have anything nice to wear. You're like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> he spent so much money, got him a nice, and he's saying, I don't have anything nice to wear. It would be, you know, the parent would feel really bad. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, that's the way we are when it comes to our relationship with God. God says, I want you to come with boldness and confidence. God says, I have clothed you with my righteousness. You are holy without blame, covered in love. Now what do we do? Oh God, do you really want me to come? Can I come? <laughs> no, I will send Pastor Jake. Come on, he will pray for me. <laughs> so we are so hesitant to come before God. God says, come with boldness and confidence. You come. And then, you know, we go say, God, I am so dirty. I'm so sorry, God. I'm smelly. I'm stinky. I'm sinful. I'm dirty. I'm miserable. I'm poor. <sighs> That's the way you were. But in Christ, I've clothed you with my righteousness. You're covered with my love. So come boldly with confidence. So I think we should not dishonor what God has done for us. We would please his heart by just accepting what he has done for us and acknowledging it and acting on it. Yes, Lord, I'm going to come before you with boldness and confidence when I come to pray. I'm going to put my head up high. I'm going to call you my father because you've made me your son. You've made me your daughter. And you've given me the right to come into your presence anytime, anywhere with boldness, with confidence to come into your presence because of Jesus. We honor God when we embrace that and act on that. Now, in verses 14 onwards, Paul is now going to talk to them about a prayer that he's praying for them. So let's look at that from verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus. I think I skipped verse 13. Paul says, let's just read verse 13. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is for your glory. He says, okay guys, you know, seeing all those wonderful things we have, God is working out his eternal purpose, and all those things, he says, guys, don't, don't be troubled about the problem you are seeing me go through. Don't worry about it. It says, don't worry about my uh, problems. Um, it's all for your benefit, for your glory. Then he goes on to verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, Paul is once again talking about a prayer that he's praying for the Ephesian church. So this is a good prayer for you and me to pray for ourselves. Pray this for yourself, and also for the church, for the people. Pray the same prayer. When somebody asks you, okay, let's pray, why don't you pray? All right, I'm going to pray. I pray, God, that you will fill us with you know, you will strengthen us with power by your spirit in the inner man. That we would be rooted and grounded in love. Just pray the same prayer for believers. Okay? But let's look at that prayer very carefully. Paul says, I'm bowing my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what I'm asking God for. He's, make, he's mentioning five things that he's praying for the believers. Are you still with me? Yes? Are you getting bored? You're following all right, okay. So he's praying five things for the believers. He says, I pray. Now, notice what he says there. He says, I am praying. I want to bring this out there in verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. So he's saying, when I'm going to make these requests, 
I am not asking God to do these things according to what you have. But I'm, gonna, I'm asking God to do these things according to His riches in glory. So I think that's important. That when you and I pray for each other, don't pray for the other person according to their bank balance. Don't pray for the other person according to the skills, the abilities, or their success. Pray for them according that he would grant to them according to the riches in, according to what God's got. Are you with me? So usually when we pray, okay, let's figure it out. You know, he can, I think he can actually do this. <laughs> Let me pray that for him. But don't pray that way. Paul didn't pray that way. He prayed according to his riches. I think that's powerful. That when you pray, don't pray according to what the situations or the constraints around the situations dictate. But always pray according to what God is able to do for them or in that situation. According to his riches. There's another place where Paul uses this phrase. Where is it? My God shall supply all your need according to his. Right? So you see that again. He's using that. Again, he's saying, when I'm praying God to meet your need, I'm not asking God to meet your need according to, you know, what's here on earth. I'm asking God to meet your need according to his. And according to what he is able to do, according to who he is. So he's saying, when I'm praying this to the Father, we're back in Ephesians. It says, verse 16, I'm praying that he would grant you according to his riches. And what are the things he, what are the five things he prays for? Verse 16, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner So he's saying, this is what I desire for you. I want each one of us to be strengthened in the inner man, in our spirit with might. The word that was dunamis, divine power. We, I want you to be strengthened with divine power that comes from the Holy Spirit. So each one of us, we need to be strengthened in our inner man. And that power that we need to be imbued with, the power that we need to receive in our spirit, is a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. So if you need to recharge the battery in your phone, you don't plug your phone into a gas stove. <laughs> That's the wrong power source. <laughs> oh, it's a little silly, but you've got to plug it into the right power source. The electrical socket, plug it there. So the right power source for our inner man is the Holy, it's the Holy Spirit. The right power source for our inner man. Where are you going to get the strength for your inner man? You've got to plug into the right power source. This is the Holy Spirit. Plug into him. And his power now comes into your spirit and you are strengthened with divine power in your inner man. Now we plug into the Holy Spirit by spending time with him in prayer, Spending time in the word of God. Communing with the Holy Spirit. You plug in to the Spirit. Pray in tongues. You plug in to the Holy Spirit. Right? So we plug in to the Holy Spirit and draw power to fill our spirit man. Are you with me? The power for inner man comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, John G. Lake, uh, he was a man greatly used by God. Uh, the early part of the 19th century, uh, the 20th century, the 19, early part of the 1900s. And uh, amazing man, because when you read his, what God did through his life, it's amazing. He's actually a businessman in Chicago. He was running a real estate business. He had a paper print newspaper business. He left all that. He decided to become a healing evangelist. And then he went as a missionary to South Africa for five years. In five years, they raised up 1,000 churches, 10,000 ministers. Five years. Powerful. 
And then he moved back to the U.S. He, they, he spent some time uh, in uh, Spokane, Washington. They, he set up what was called as the healing rooms. And uh, in the healing rooms, in, in three years, sorry, in five years in the healing rooms, they had 100,000 documented cases of healing. In five years, 100,000 documented cases of healing. Uh, the, I think it was a small business bureau or the Better Business Bureau in the U.S. at that time. They came to investigate. They spent a whole week investigating the healings that are taking place. And John G. Lake said, you know, at the end of this week, I will line up 100 people. I'll bring them into this auditorium and you can examine every one of them. They said, you know, after spending a week there at the healing room, they said, cancel that. We don't even need that. We've seen what's taken place. These are genuine healings. So he saw, he actually saw the power of God so great. And John G. Lake said this. He said, you know, the power of God is like electricity. Now, he was using just you know, a parallel. And our spirit are like the wire that conducts the electricity. Now, you and I know there are different wires. There are these little thin wires that can carry 1.5 volts from a little battery. Then there are stronger wires, like some of that we have here. And then you've got these high-tension cables. You take the little wire and plug it into that high voltage, so... It's gone. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. So what's the point? The point is, the power on the other side, there is no limit to the, the voltage on the other side, the power of God on the other end. What's limiting is the wires with which we are connecting to that source. Our young Gicho put it like this. He said, you know, the power of God is like this huge reservoir. If you connect it with, to that huge reservoir with a thin tube, all you'll get is drips on the other side. But if you connect to that reservoir with those huge pipes, you'll get torrents of the flow. So I think, you know, for all of us, the call, the challenge is, let's build up our spirit man so that we could actually be like that high-tension wire that will be able to conduct or bring in more and more of the power of God on this side. Are you with me? That we can strengthen our inner man We'll be able to have more and more capacity to deliver the power of God on this side for the needs of people to be met, for lives to be changed, for people to be healed. Thank God for the measure of power that we're seeing. But it's, it's so little compared to what's available on the other side. And someone, some of us should take, take up the challenge. I wish all of us would take up the challenge. Let's press in saying, God, I want the capacity of my spirit to keep increasing so that there will be more of God's power being delivered on this side to people. So, and I spent too much time on that point. He says, I pray that you'll be strengthened with might through spirit and inner man. That, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, why would he pray for Christ to dwell in their hearts when he's already dwelling? So if they are already saved, and they are, they are already saints and Christ is already dwelling in them. Why would he pray that? So I understand this praise, not simply to mean about the dwelling of Christ, but I understand it as, the, as Christ being formed in them. And the reason I say that, that Paul is actually, what is intended in prayer saying that is, not just for Christ to dwell in your heart, but for Christ to be formed in your heart, is because when I compare it to his other epistles, when he writes to the Galatians, in Galatians 4.19, Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he says, Galatians, for you I'll travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. So he says, I'm praying, I'm laboring and travailing in prayer. For what? For Christ to be formed in? Yeah, Christ is in you, he's dwelling in you, but I want to go beyond that. I want Christ to be formed in you. That means you become Christ-like. 
And also to the Colossians, the Colossians 1.28, he writes to them and says, I want to present every person perfect, mature, fully grown in Christ. So looking at what he was praying for the other churches, I can conclude here that when he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts, he's really not just talking about the dwelling presence, but he's talking about Christ being formed in them, because Christ already dwells in them. Why would he pray for something that, he, that is already there? So his real intent there is for Christ to be formed, that Christ would be formed in your hearts, that you, number three, that you would be rooted and grounded in love. So I want you to be your foundation and your motivation to be love. Just I'm praying that. God, make them a people who, who are rooted and grounded in love. Everything they do, let it come out of love. Let them be motivated by love. Let them, the things they do come out of love. I want them to be a people who be rooted and grounded in love. Then he says, I want, them to, I want you to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So here's something interesting. I want you to comprehend something that you cannot measure, that is so vast, but I want you to comprehend it. I want you to know something that is actually beyond knowledge, the love of God. He says, I want you to comprehend the love of God. I want you to know the love of God, but the love of God is so vast, so great. So how can you comprehend something so vast that's just, just way beyond our capacity to comprehend? How can we know something that's actually beyond knowledge? What he's really saying there, and if you look at the Greek there, he's saying, I want you to experience. And I want, I want you to gra- comprehend there, to grasp, to receive. And I want you to know, meaning to know by experience, the love of God. This vast love, I want you to receive and I want you to experience. Are you with me so far? Yes. So God's love is so great that we just have to say, God, I receive that love. And I want to know by experience how great your love is for me. And then he says the last thing that he prays is that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to be filled with, with Christ. And then he concludes then, verses 20 and 21. I'll just read those verses here. He says... That you'll be able to do, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us. To him be glory. God is able to do above all that we can ask or above all that we can ask or think. God's able to do through us. So as a believer in Jesus, I want you to expect God to do things in your life. That are way beyond what you can ask or think. Expect that. Expect that. God, you are able to do way beyond what I can ask or think. Because it's your power that's at work in my... Paul says, God's able to do that. I'm going to stop here. I can see a lot of people getting really tired. (laughs) Let's stand to our feet. All right. So, go back. Read through chapter 3. I think it's, uh, it's just really beautiful to look at. Chapter 3, and then just feed on it, just draw insights from that. Uh, begin to apply it in your life, live it, walk it, and say, God, I want this to be a part of me. Let's take a few moments to pray before we close. And if there's something that struck you in this whole chapter this morning, I want you to just pray about one thing. Just pray about that. Whatever. You know, there's many, there are many things we spoke about. But if there's one thing that you would like to take from this chapter and just apply it to your life, I want you to pray about that this morning. We're going to take a few moments just to pray, and then we will close. So let's all just take a few moments just to pray. One thing that you heard in this chapter, that you can pray for your own life. Father, I just pray that for each of us, Lord God, you would bring us to 
a place where we would become according to your grace given to us, Father. That we will understand what is that grace you've put on our lives. That we will understand the gifts of grace that you put upon our lives, Father. So that we will become according to that. Father, I just pray that there will be the effective working of your power in each one of our lives, whatever you called us to do. We will see the power of God at work in our vocation, in our calling. Whatever you've called us, each one of us to do. Find that, Lord. And I pray also, Lord God, that we will be strengthened with your power in our inner man. Lord, we pray for more and more of that strength in our inner man, God. That our spirit man will grow stronger and stronger, Lord God. That we will intentionally build capacity in our spirit. Build strength in our spirit, Father God. Until we see more and more of your power on display on our side, on this end. That the power of God will be displayed, Father God, with powerful healings and miracles and wonderful things taking place on our side. Increase our capacity, the capacity of our inner man. Strengthen us on the inside. Father, And God, your word says that you are able to do above all that we can ask or think because of your power that's at work in us. And Lord, we just pray that you'll enable us and empower us, God, to impact our city. Oh God, that literally you'll see thousands and thousands of people in our city coming in to faith in Christ, drawn out of darkness into your marvelous light. Because God, you are able to do that. You are able to impact our city powerfully. You're able to visit Bangalore and move across the city powerfully. That literally thousands and thousands are saved and brought into your kingdom. And we ask for that. That Bangalore will experience a mighty visitation, a mighty move of God. That hundreds of thousands of people in the city, God, will be saved. And your word says you're able to do above and beyond what we can ask or think. Because of your power that's at work through us. We just thank you, Father. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. I encourage you to go back and and spend some time reading Ephesians, soaking the word of God into your heart. God bless you. See you again. Thank you. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.